Welcome to the Melbourne Business School podcast, where we answer the biggest questions in business today and explore the latest research. I'm your host, Yasmin Rupersinger. Today we'll hear from a team of experts who've identified a new way of measuring trust that could improve performance in culturally diverse teams. My guests are Carol Gill, an Associate Professor of Organisational Behaviour at Melbourne Business School, Nicole Gillespie, Professor of Management at the University of Queensland and the KPMG Chair of Organisational Trust, and Bart de Jong, an Associate Professor of Organisational Behaviour at the Australian Catholic University. Their colleague, Professor Ian Williamson, the Dean of the UCI Paul Mirage School of Business, is unable to join us today, but Carol, Nicole and Bart are here to explain how measuring trust differently could improve performance in culturally diverse teams. Welcome, everyone. Perhaps we can begin by hearing about your research and what happens when trust is spread across a team. Thanks, Yasmin. It's great to be part of the podcast today. My research career actually started here at Melbourne Business School when I did my PhD examining how leaders develop trust in their teams. And since then, my passion for researching how organisational trust can be built, preserved and repaired has only grown. So the research project we're focusing on today has its roots in a project that Carol, Ian and I began um, when I was on faculty at Melbourne Business School back in 2009. One of the key insights from our research is that it's not only the level of trust in the team that's important, it's also important that team members have a shared level of trust in the team. So they have similar levels of trust. And we find that this consensus in trust is predictive of team performance and it predicts team performance over and above just understanding the level of trust in the team. And we showed this on a sample of 120 work teams from diverse industries, as well as on a sample of 95 MBA teams collected here at Melbourne Business School. So in short, our research shows that both the level of trust and how shared trust is in the team are both important. And this has really important implications for leaders. Um, in particular, it suggests that leaders need to focus on building shared trust in the team. So taking all team members on the journey of trusting in the team. I'll hand over to Bart now to explain a little bit further about why shared trust is so important in teams. Yeah, so just to give you uh, an example, imagine that there are two teams and um, we uh, consisting of two team members each, and we ask them to rate their trust on a five point scale. And team A, uh, consisting of the two first two team members, each of the two team members rate their uh, trust in their team uh, at, say, a level three. And so if you look at the kind of overall level within the team, um, you kind of combine those, those, those trust experiences from those team members, you arrive at three, three out of five, let's say an average level, moderate level of trust. Now compare this to another team, team B, uh, also consisting of two team members, but one of the team members indicates a low level of trust, score of one, and the other team member indicates high level of trust, a score of five. Now, if you combine those scores, you also arrive at this level, uh, at, at, a, at a three level, at a moderate level of trust, but which kind of suggests that the teams are very um, similar. But actually, if you then look at the, the sharedness of trust, you see that these teams are actually quite different, uh, where the first team is a lot of sharedness in, in their levels of trust and the other one does not. And we tend to overlook this uh, and um, not just in research, but I think also in practice, we tend to focus on maybe kind of the overall level of trust and our research focuses specifically on this, this sharedness. 
The reason why this is important is because we find in our research and also other research that this, this actually happens quite a bit, that trust perceptions uh, and, and trust experiences among team members uh, is not shared among the team members. We um, also see research showing that uh, this, this can actually uh, worsen over time. So it doesn't naturally resolve itself. Um, and so this can kind of become this persistent problem within the team. And then as Nicole mentioned, um, we uh, also find that, that it matters. It matters for the dynamics in the team and the performance of those teams uh, when trust is not shared over and above this, this overall level of trust that, that is happening in the team. Now, Carol, I'd like to ask you, what role does culture play in the level and communication of trust in a team? Obviously, we're all different in terms of the way we see the world and culture is one of the lenses in which we see the world differently. And I like to think of a class example. Uh, I have multi-national um, classes at Melbourne Business School. And after a team activity, one of the students said to me, um, in Asia, we say the noisy duck gets shot. But in um, Australia, you'll often say the squeaky wheel gets greased. And he's saying that's a fundamental difference in teams for us, that we see people who speak a lot uh, as, as being um, disruptive and self-serving, whereas uh, from their perspective, those who might sit back and listen to others would be more making a better contribution to the team. And so you can see how that could actually impact on trust in teams. Culture really influences how people perceive and make sense of what's going on in their team um, and the way the team is interacting. So if you like, we can think of culture as a perceptual filter. It's like this interpretive lens that we have that helps us to interpret behaviour in the team. And essentially what research has shown is that culture influences what is important for us in order to trust in, in a team and in trust in others. So it influences the, the kinds of cues and signals that help us to uh, believe that others are trustworthy. So to take an example here, in some cultures, there's a very strong norm around saving face. And it would be really inappropriate for a subordinate to correct or highlight problems in a leader's reasoning, um, even if that leader's reasoning is flawed. Now, from other cultural perspectives, and I'd say probably from an Australian perspective, not speaking up and pointing out such problems could actually be seen as irresponsible and untrustworthy. So we can see that this same behaviour that could happen in the team from two different cultural viewpoints could be seen as completely different in terms of whether it's signalling trust or not. So it's only natural for people from diverse cultural backgrounds who have different values, different attitudes and norms to see um, trust and the trustworthiness of the team in different ways. So Essentially, what we find in our research is that cultural diversity in team challenges the development of shared trust. Um, so there's a negative relationship between cultural diversity in the team and how much shared trust there will be in that team. Now, the good news, though, is that we find that this um, negative effect of cultural diversity on, on team trust actually disappears um, when leadership is shared in the team as well as when um, the culturally diverse team supplements their face-to-face -face communication with virtual communication. So again, the implication for leaders and team members is that it can be helpful to share leadership roles in culturally diverse teams, 
And it can also be helpful to supplement this face-to-face communication with virtual communication like email. But how does working in a virtual team environment affect trust? Of course, there has been an ongoing trend uh, of teams in organizations working virtually, but this trend has uh, definitely accelerated because of the pandemic. And so in that sense, I think our research uh, is very timely. And we find in our research, contrary to common belief, that virtuality can actually be beneficial for building shared trust in culturally diverse teams. So there tends to be um, an implicit assumption or or common belief that um, virtuality is bad, that it inhibits or challenges, um, makes it more difficult to build trust within Mm -hmm. teams. We actually find that it can be beneficial and it, it, it does so because of two reasons. One reason is that virtual communication, in particular, asynchronous and text-based uh, communication technology like emails, that those reduce audio and visual cues that make culturally, cultural differences less visible, less salient to other team members. For example, because of when you're using email, you may not pick up on, let's say, an accent that a fellow team member has because maybe English is not their their, um, first language. Or you may not pick up on their physical appearance that might look different because they are originally from a different cultural background. So this is one way in which virtual communication and email in particular or text-based communication can um, can help to build shared levels of trust in those teams. The other part uh, to this is that asynchronous communication, such as emails, gives other team members who, for instance, who for whom English is not their first language, it gives them more time to process all the conversations that are going on within the team. And so it gives them more time to to process, also to think about how to formulate their response, their their contribution to the conversation. Uh, And I would say it even in case of specifically of email, even would allow for things like spelling correction. So if this is not your first language, the spelling correction can actually, actually improve your contributions to the conversation. So in this sense, I think it allows for more equal participation of all team members and prevents the conversation from being dominated by only a few team members um, that perhaps uh, for whom, for instance, English is their first language. Yeah, that's great. You've identified some really great benefits there, Bart. Carol, I'd like to ask you about what role leadership plays in building team trust. Thank you. Often we think of leadership as a formal position in an organisation, the nominated team leader, um, and that person will direct and tell people what to do. And in some ways, in doing so, they can create some level of order. We didn't look at formal leadership. We looked at something called collective leadership. So in a self-managed team, there isn't necessarily a formal leader. Uh, Some people might think of things like agile teams, Um, that are in place. Um, And these teams have to work things out for themselves. And sometimes they do a good job and sometimes conflict ensues. And and they do this by perhaps making an intervention, an intervention about 
what the team should be doing, how the team should be doing it. Um, and they also make interventions about social um, support they may provide, encouraging another person, for instance. And finally, they might even bring in resources into the team. Information is one resource they might go and ask about and bring back. Now, these are all leadership interventions that can be in place. And these things um, actually help a team uh, do its job and also build trust because people can predict what's going to be happening and can trust each other. But I'll hand over to Nicole now who can uh, enhance what I've actually said or expand on it. Thanks, Carol. So Carol's really helped us to understand how sharing leadership roles in the team can um, help us to create shared trust. And really we can think about that in terms of, you know, when power and influence are shared, this really helps people to, again, have common perceptions and expectations of the team and hence helping to that shared trust. But more broadly, if we look at just what, what generally can leaders do to build trust in their teams, there's literally been hundreds of studies and what we even call meta-analyses, you know, um, analyses of hundreds of studies that have actually looked at what leadership practices are effective in building trust in teams. And we know, for example, that transformational leadership is strongly and consistently associated. So what are some of the practices here? Well, one is around establishing a common purpose and a common set of values in the team. This really helps uh, to for helps team members to develop that sense of shared identity um, and really feel that they're part of a group together that's all working towards a common set of goals. And that is fundamental to building trust in teams. Empowering team members um, by, for example, involving them in decisions and giving them choice and some freedom in their work is strongly associated with trust. Uh, playing a strong coordination role, so effectively coordinating the team's tasks, ensuring expectations are clear, and uh, as Carol mentioned, you know, ob obtaining those required resources for the team. There's also a role of coaching, so developing team members' individual strengths and helping them to approach problems in new ways, um, that also helps them to achieve goals. And we know that when teams are humming together well, performing well, that performing well also feeds into future trust in the team. We trust teams that are delivering on their purpose and achieving their objectives. Now, another really important role for leaders is the role modeling. So acting in a trustworthy manner themselves, which then sets a strong norm and expectation for others to follow. And what we know from, again, a wealth of research is that when leaders demonstrate competence and expertise in the areas that the team's relying on them for, when they demonstrate benevolence, so showing this genuine concern for team members, treating others fairly, um, being receptive and available when needed, and also integrity. So doing what you say you'll do, being consistent and upholding the team's you know, common shared values and principles, being honest, for example. When leaders role model this ability, this benevolence and integrity, they're more trusted as well. And it also sets a really good um, norm for the team to follow. And what we also know from research is that when team members trust the leader, they're more likely to trust each other as well. So these practices are not only important for building trust in the leader, but also for building trust in the team. What about conflict in the team then? Should we expect some conflict in the beginning with any new team? As in, how might people change to fit the team dynamic better? And is that even necessary? Perhaps, Carol, you can tell us about that. Conflict's inevitable when um, people get together, isn't it? Um, 
And of course, you can minimise that in the ways that Nicole has already shared with us. Um, but we're unsure of other people. It's hard to trust other people uh, when we first meet them. Um, and so the, we often go through what, what is often called, uh, based on Tuckman's model, a forming phase, where we're just trying to see what's the land, where the land lies. But then there is a storming phase that may occur, and that is where you suddenly realise that the other person or the other, other team mates are, are, are different to you and they want different things. And, and of course, if, if it's conflict about the task and it can be um, worked out in an appropriate way, uh, that's not an issue. If it becomes personal, that's when it becomes an issue. Um, and certainly one can imagine that if you have dispersed level of trust in a team, some people trusting others not, you could even, you will have more conflict there because consistent things can't be put in play um, to make all team members feel comfortable with what's going on. I'd like to hear from Bart and Nicole now about what indicators a team leader should look for to recognise when the level of trust in a team is low. I think it kind of depends on whether you are looking at the, the level of trust or the sharedness of trust. And again, uh, we our research uh, suggests that both are important. Looking at the sharedness of trust or, or indicators, if there is a lack of, of shared perceptions, I think indicators of this are, for instance, when there is there's kind of an imbalance between give and take. So between, um, for instance, information exchange or the way in which certain team members help others more uh, than other members. So this kind of in unequal give and take that's going on within the team would could be an indicator of a, a lack of shared trust. You could also think about, for instance, if team members are really unsure about what's going on with the team in kind of on a relational dimension. So again, imagine the example where there's unshared trust and there's Kind of half of the team has high level of trust, the other half have has low levels of trust, then um, you can imagine that there will be a lot of uncertainty around kind of, you know, what is the trust climate that we have here within the team. And so if you see team members being unsure of this and kind of uncomfortable with that situation, that would be an indicator that there um, may not be shared levels of trust. Now going to the overall level of trust, uh, there are some other indicators I think that you can look for. And these are what, what we typically in research call uh, risk-taking behaviors. So the idea is that if there is a lot of trust within the team, team members are comfortable taking risks in interacting with each other. And so if there is trust uh, within the team, you would most likely see you know, a free flow of information sharing uh, within the team. Uh, and team members that are happy to kind of um, organize their their work in a, maybe a more flexible, organic way and delegating tasks to each other uh, because they're comfortable relying on each other. Now, by contrast, if there is a team with low levels of trust, you may see what one indicator that you may see is that people are hesitant to share information, that they may withhold information, that they have an increased um, need to monitor each other. Um, so they wanna keep tabs on each other to make sure that everybody's uh, 
doing what they promised they would do. And you might also see that uh, a kind of an unwillingness to delegate. So um, you, you would see team members who want to kind of retain control over what's going on within the team and how work is being done. Bart's done a great job, I think, of covering the terrain there. Uh, what I'd just add is uh, there's always a fine balance. Uh, in any team, you know, as a leader, you, you know, particularly when you're the formal leader of the team, you've always got the responsibility of making sure this team you know, delivers. And so this is why sometimes having those expectations really clear and building in processes from the beginning around reporting back on what various sub-teams might be doing, um, having discussions around how we're going to work together, um, setting all the milestones, et cetera, right up front. By doing that, it's, it doesn't then signal distrust through this kind of monitoring because that's just seen as normal for the team and it's been set up right from the beginning. And sometimes what we see is more of that monitoring and control behaviour coming in when there's an absence of leadership or when things aren't clear because it's people's attempts to try to figure out what's going on and they don't have confidence that the team has a shared understanding of what it's going to do, when it's going to do it, who's going to do it and how. So I, I, just, I think that that's important to clarify that some of the some monitoring is probably important in teams and it's more the way that it's communicated, who's doing it and how that can either be supportive of trust or could actually start to communicate distrust and a lack of trust. Um, but I think as Bart said, you know, when people are really holding back and they're hesitant, you can see that they're experiencing problems in their work um, or they're unclear, but they're not willing to talk about that, that they're sort of signals that something's not right in the team. So at a high level, I'd say, you know, seeing a team that has that sort of feel safe to disclose when there's issues and problems going on and to do so early on before these issues escalate and become trust issues, that, that's a really good sign that, that things are humming along well in the team. Excellent. My last question for today is what can a leader do to build trust in a culturally diverse team? Carol. I think one of the first things is to be aware of our biases. Um, there are many unconscious biases when people are dissimilar to us it is natural for us not to feel close to them and to not trust them as much because they are less product predictable for us um, as well. So certainly it's about the awareness that we will have biases. And just because someone is different doesn't mean that they haven't got an equally valid contribution to make. In fact, they have an even more valid contribution because they do have different ways of actually seeing the world, which does lead to better decision-making. So I do a fair bit of research on authentic leadership as well. And we know that um, authentic leaders are self-aware, that they're aware that they could have biases and to hold those biases in check um, as well. But they're also engaged in balanced processing. And this is this thing of asking questions explaining themselves carefully. And so if some team members aren't speaking, not to make assumptions about that, but to, to check in with those team members as well, about because they may have a valuable contribution to make um, to the team and its, its deliverables. We've already talked about the fact that um, sharing leadership roles in the team is one way to support trust in culturally diverse teams and also supplementing that face-to-face -face communication with the virtual communication, particularly email um, and written communication can be really helpful. And that's important because then people, you know, regardless of their language skills, 
um, you know, they can have time to input, process and think about what they want to say rather than being put on the spot and having to do that orally. Uh, but more broadly, team building activities and just introducing some socialising amongst team members up front. We all know it, but often it gets crowded out in the busyness of everyday life. So making sure that you do take that time, particularly early in the team's life, to bring people together, give them an opportunity to know each other, um, not only professionally, but also personally, um, an opportunity to understand each each other's cultural backgrounds and to really celebrate the diversity and the strengths that those different cultural backgrounds can bring to the team. Um, often we expect people who are from a different cultural background to the one that we're living in to do all the cultural adaptation and accommodation. But what we actually find from the research is that um, it really helps to build trust when the leader and other team members show an interest in learning about the other um, cultures and actually also thinking about how can you bring in and appreciate and understand some of the values and different ways of working. Uh, we also know that, that discussing those norms and expectations up, up front and where we expect there to be different expectations or norms, maybe even explicitly talking those through. Um, so, for example, again, the research um, points to the fact that um, Chinese people often ex have very strong expectations of their leaders. Uh, and if those um, expectations are not fulfilled, then that can lead to a break of trust. And sometimes that's occurring without a Western leader even being aware of that. Um, so surfacing some of those expectations up front and just talking through so that they don't become problems later on can be really helpful. I think also uh, that one-on-one -on -one check in when you see perhaps a member of the team, particularly if they come from a different cultural background, sort of withdrawing or being quiet, just taking them aside outside of the team meeting and having a chat with them, just checking in to make sure that everything's okay and seeing if there's anything that can be done to kind of support them within the team environment. Thanks, Nicole, Carol and Bart for joining me today and for sharing your insights on leading and navigating team life. Really appreciate your time. Thanks. Thanks, Yasmin. Melbourne Business School is home to Australia's best MBA and business analytics degrees, as well as short courses for professionals and custom solutions for organisations. Our purpose is unleashing ideas and leaders for a sustainable future. Visit mbs.edu to find out more. Until next time.